Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm looking at Ryan, my producer, going, Ryan, what is happening today? Do you have any idea what is going to happen on today's show? I'm, I don't. That's the beauty of radio, Bill. I we love never that. know what's going to happen. We never know. Oh, wait a minute. The mothership just landed, <laughs> and look who crawled off. <laughs> it's Guy Talk. That's fantastic. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here. I've got Greg Morgan, Tom Parrish, and Jeff Verdorn, and you know what the drill is on Guide Talk Day. You send over questions, we answer them, or try to do the best we can, and that's the program. If you have a question about something in Scripture, uh, something you heard in a sermon, something you overheard in a Bible study, something that you grappled about with a neighbor, they asked you a question, and you thought, "Uh, I didn't know how to answer that. This is the place to bring that question, 877-933-2484. Now, Greg, I'm looking your direction because... Mm -hmm. You're getting on a jumbo jet soon. <laughs> You're going to head to your, your motherland of Ireland. Oh, my home away from home. Mothership. You're heading to Ireland. a place that you love more than any other place yes. on planet Earth. That's correct. Yeah. Been to 106 countries, and it's the only one that, as soon as I get off the plane, Bill, I just feel the anxiety drain out, and I nice. find a new equilibrium, nice. and it's just wonderful. I think we've got time. Name all 106. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be kind of fun, wouldn't it? If he nailed it, I would go, well, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, have a great trip. We're oh, looking thanks. forward to uh, hearing reports. Uh, this is trip number seven or eight? Nine. Nine. Yeah. yeah. See, I've lost track. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And Tom Parrish, you... Uh, You've been to the Wisconsin Dells at least once? At least once, yeah. yep. That's exciting. Times. Yeah? It is. A lot of fun. Did you see the Tommy Bartlett water skiing show? Uh, yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. Many years ago. Yeah? Yeah. And they wouldn't let me in on it. Oh, that's too bad. I wanted to ski, and they said, no way. Because <laughs> I can't they, ski well. Yeah, and they didn't have the insurance liability, did that's they? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff, you've been on an African safari, haven't you? I have been. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, you have. They are spectacular. We made a photo Spectacular. Yeah, yeah, they're the best. That was a fun trip. How many years ago was that? Boy, it's got to be about 12, a dozen okay. years ago or so. All right. Fantastic. Anyway, 877-933-2484. Uh, time for your questions. We've got a, a lot of show ahead, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to bring to the show, and we'll get it on the air. All right, gentlemen, uh, a verse that I've heard often and even recently, and we've heard this many, many times because we see it on coffee cups, uh, cups and T-shirts and bumper stickers, and that's Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. Mm-hmm. Let's put this in the proper perspective, because I think this is a great verse to understand well. Yeah. To me, it's interesting when you read the verse, the first thing that, that you know, kind of pushes out at you is it's not plan. It's plans for you. And here's how I've understood that. All of us um, probably regret many of the decisions we've made in our life, and the enemy will try to remind us that, well, now you're going to be on the back bench. Um, God can't use you anymore. You were supposed to do this, and you didn't do it. And so we have this idea that if we make a mistake, all of a sudden we're no longer of use to the Lord. The interesting thing about this passage is God has plans for you. 
And in his permissive will, we have an opportunity to make decisions and move in certain directions. And quite frankly, some of those directions may not be God's desire for us. But just because we've taken a detour, what happens is, is at the end of that detour, God just simply opens up more opportunity for you. So in other words, he has plans for you. And your mistakes or your sin is not going to disqualify you from serving the Lord. He's just going to open up more options for you, whatever direction that you take, whatever decision that you make, and get you back into, you know, in terms of his trajectory for your life. Hmm. See, this is the Old Testament verse that I think correlates to the New Testament when it talks about predestination. Too often predestination is Mm -hmm. interpreted as you have no choice, it's simply going to go that way, that's the end result. Mm-hmm. Where when I look at the, the original language, there's a sense of predestination means the Lord has created a mold for you. He already knows who he wants you to be. He's designed you for a purpose. There's no mistake. Our goal is to listen to the Lord, follow him, so that he will lead us into that plan. And it's kind of like going down a, a long trail. Lots of branches that go off to the side. You can go here or there and lots of nice places to go eat. But he's saying, go this way. And the more you go that way, the more you begin to fit his mold. And that's what I like about the Lord. Right now, I have a, a nephew who I mentioned the guy. He's 56, dying of cancer. He told me, he said, whether I live or die, I'm going to be with Jesus. And he's always been with me. And I think that he understands whether the Lord heals him or he dies. The mold is what he's done these 56 years and what the Lord has done through him. And that's going to go on through his family and into eternity. Mm-hmm. So surely the Lord knows our plans. He knows the desires of our hearts. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. He knows how many days we're going to walk on this earth. He knows all things. So surely he knows uh, the plans that he has for us. And by the way, he has wonderful plans for us. We have this incredible inheritance of those who believe in Christ that uh, that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We will be with him in the new heaven, new earth for all of eternity. So those are wonderful, wonderful plans. But this seems to be more temporal, more physical. So let's see directly who this passage is spoken to. Now, I know a lot of Christians that have this as their life verse. Yeah. And if it's your life verse, great, wonderful. Yeah. This is a wonderful verse. But understand the, the correct context. If we go up to verse 4 of Jeremiah 29, it says, This is what the Lord says to Israel, to those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That is who God is specifically talking to here in this chapter, those who he carried off into Babylon. He says this in verse 10, when the 70 years of your captivity are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to you and bring you back to this land of Israel. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Now, ultimately, for the nation of Israel, their ultimate plan is to dwell with the Lord in the millennial kingdom when he returns, and and he will fulfill his promise that he gave all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that their descendants would never cease to be a nation before him and that they would possess this land forever. I think that's the proper context of Jeremiah 29, 11. So if it's your life verse, Great, he knows the plan he has for you, but understand this was spoken to Israel, specifically those carried into captivity to Babylon. Wouldn't you agree, though, Jeff, that that, and you're absolutely right, that's the exact interpretation of that passage. 
But don't you think that there is an application for us today? Absolutely. If it was true oh, yeah. for Israel that God has plans for their life, would it not also be true for us? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What we need to do, and since I'm the one that's been a pastor for a long time and have to deal with all kinds of things, I buried four children in my ministry. I buried several suicides. I had a murder, as well as young people in car accidents, older people, all ages. Here's what I run into at funerals, especially as children or whatever. Where was God? If God says he has good plans for me, where was he when my child got sick and died or ran out in front of that car? And I, I think it's a struggle for most leaders, most pastors. What do you say under those circumstances? Mm-hmm. That's where we need to go back here and understand that our Lord looks at eternity. He doesn't just look at right now. We are so caught up in the right now that we expect everything to work out well. And it is a popular way to talk to people to say, well, Jeff, if you love the Lord, you're going to have plenty of money. You're going to have plenty of health. Things are going to go well for you. But when it goes bad, most of us don't know what to say. The truth of it is, whether it goes good or bad, it's no surprise to the Lord. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he's going to be there for us even at the last moment to take us into eternity. And if you only see the temporal in this passage then you end up getting to that kind of health and prosperity stuff, right, that you were just talking about, right? Well, if you look at the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11, where Israel will be restored, but there are very few exiles that would see the fulfillment of that prophecy 70 years later. Exactly. It's their kids, their grandkids. So we, we do have a tendency to misuse that, but that does not mean it does not apply with us for mm-hmm. us today. Correct. And so there's the principle. Look, God wants to bless his people. In fact, in Israel, Deuteronomy 28 is this wonderful chapter of I've given you the law, and if you follow his ways, you will be blessed. If you don't follow his ways, there will be consequences or curses. And so for the people of God today, Christians, believers, as we live in accordance with God's ways, there should be good. There should be blessing that comes upon us for for following God's ways. When we follow the ways of the world, there's going to be consequences. If you go out and steal, you just might get caught. You just might end up in prison and bad things might happen to you, right? So uh, God has prescribed ways for his people as, as a guidebook to life. Um, and it, it's for our own good. That's what the law was for Israel. That's what his ways are of the New Testament today, because we're not under the law, the Old Testament law today, are for us today. Um, so, But ultimately, uh, like you were just talking about, the principle still applies, especially when you have an eternal perspective. Yeah. When you look at a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11, I think there's also another verse that comes to mind that gets readily misunderstood, and that's Romans 8, 28, because this applies to believers. This doesn't apply to everybody. For those who love him. And, and who are called according to his purpose. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right, but the Jeremiah 29, 11 verse, I, I hear that used with non-believers, and that's not using it correctly. Right. Yeah, Romans 8, 28 is that God's working all things, and if you understand God's great plan for the end of the age, mm-hmm. uh, go to the back of the book. I've read the back of the book. You know, he, we win. Yeah. We win this. Good victory. Yeah, it's, it's this giant victory. Jesus yeah. comes back. He establishes his kingdom as the king of kings and lord of lords, and he will reign on earth forever and ever and ever. So in the meantime, there's eight billion little wills doing what they want, <laughs> and sometimes those have consequences, bad consequences, 
all of creation is under a curse, right? There are mm-hmm. famines and earthquakes in various places and so on. And we, as believers, can get caught up in that. People make bad decisions. There's an angel running around the earth looking to kill and destroy. And there's lots of bad stuff. He sends the rain on the righteous, on the unrighteous, and causes evil on the, on the evil and the good. Mm-hmm. The sunrise on the evil good. So good and bad happen to the good and bad. Yeah. I know the plans I have for us, and that is to take a break and then come back and answer more questions. <laughs> Those are the plans. So we're going to take a break and we come back. Love to hear your questions. Send it over. 877-933-2484. You should also sign up for the verse of the day. It's so cool. You get this beautiful scripture graphic and it's sent right to your inbox. You can do that by signing up at myfaithradio.com. You can do it during the break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Welcome back to Guy Talk, or guys who talk. Send your questions over, a question about the Bible, question about something you heard in a Bible study, something you heard a pastor preach, and you've been thinking about it, and you want to continue that conversation, let us know what it is. We'd love to talk about it. 877-933-2484. Question that just came in. Please explain the Catholic belief that Mary, the mother of Jesus, remained a virgin after the birth of Jesus and never sinned. Now, Greg Borgon, you grew up Catholic, as did I. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's discuss the understanding of that belief. Yeah, I mean, uh, that certainly is a is a Catholic belief. It was in the catechism when I went to parochial school. It was taught that way. But when I read Scripture, it became very evident that there were children that came after Jesus. Uh, scripture speaks about that. As a matter of fact, James was one of his physical brothers. In other words, a child from Joseph and Mary. So Scripture says that there were children after Jesus, and uh, Mary had children. Yeah, I mean, there's Matthew 125 says, but he, Joseph, did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him name, the name Jesus. So right there, it's implied early on in the, in the book of Matthew that it was until, wasn't until after Jesus was born, but the marriage was consummated. In other words, they did have sexual relations, and as, as you said, Greg, that they had other children, and those children are discussed and named in Scripture— uh, as as children of Mary and and of Joseph, the idea that so the Catholic doctrine that Mary is sinless is the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I've asked this question of many Catholics. They actually think the Immaculate Conception is the Virgin Birth of Jesus. In reality, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is the sinless birth of Mary. And that in the Catholic tradition, they believe that Mary then remained sinless and remained a virgin her entire life. It's it's not only as we just talked about not biblical. It's not it's not necessary. Jesus 
is the one who was without sin. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the one who died for the sins of the world. Jesus was the Lamb of God, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Mm -hmm. It's not necessary for the mother of Jesus who gave birth to her to remain, quote-unquote, sinless, according to the Immaculate Conception uh, in the Catholic tradition. Can I say something to the non-Catholics out there? Sure. Tom Parrish, go ahead. Okay. The bottom line is this. Lutherans are just as difficult doing these kind of things with the Word of God. We have our traditions. We have our history. We have our belief systems. We don't always know where they came from historically. And I'm sure many Roman Catholics don't know where the about Mary came from in terms of that, because in the scriptures, the 66 books we have, it doesn't say that about her. Mm-hmm. Lutherans can be just as bad in terms of reading things in, almost to the point where, because we, we have a, a strong affirmation for baptism, even of infants, because of a covenant concept, there's a misunderstanding that that does not mean that that child automatically gets to go to heaven if they grow up and never open up their heart to Jesus. When you're in the covenant, you have to respond to the covenant maker. And I think we have not explained that well, and I think the same thing is true here. It'd be nice if we could look deeper. And so I encourage everybody, Lutherans, non-Lutherans, whatever you hear from the pulpit, whatever you hear from your pastor, whatever you grew up with in the catechism, go back and look at Scripture. Mm -hmm. Ask your own questions and look deeply and see. And quite frankly, folks, if I would have had the internet when I was 10 years old, I'd have been a terror, not for video games, but for looking at Scripture. You can do things now in five minutes that I couldn't do in seminary in five days. So I'm encouraging you, take a look and search it out. And, and by the way, really quick, we know where this teaching came from. You know, Pope Pius in the 1850s made this declaration of the Immaculate Conception. So we actually know the history and where this came from. So it, this did not, this doctrine didn't come along for 1,800 years after Mary lived. And and this, I would argue, by the way, to all those who revere Mary, this takes nothing actually away from Mary as the person. She is called in Scripture blessed. Mm -hmm. Her name has been remembered for 2,000 years. One of the heroes of the faith. One of the heroes of the faith. She gave birth to my Messiah. So let's hold her up. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's it's not necessary biblically that she remained sinless. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, back to the prior question regarding the Jeremiah verse we talked about. Uh, What are you saying that God may do the same for us, but the context will reveal who it's promised to, correct? May do the same. Well, do you want the principle? Yeah. Look, do do Christians have a hope and a future? Yes. Yes. Uh, Yes. We have a great hope and a future. And hopefully, I, I. we need to distinguish between the temporal and the eternal when we talk that way. We can absolutely say for sure that we have a a, a wonderful hope and, and a future eternally. We have this inheritance, right? This inheritance kept in heaven that can never perish or spoil or fade. It's shielded by God's power. He keeps it. We have the Holy Spirit forever, and we will dwell. And I've, I've read the back of the book. The, the streets are made out of gold. Did you guys know that? Mm-hmm. It's really yep. cool, right? But in this world, we have to balance this principle then with the reality that Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? Yeah, and and my point was that God is not finished with you yet. I remember Craig Rochelle saying one time, if you're not dead, you're not done. 
Hmm. Um, so the, the idea is, is that God isn't finished with you yet. No matter what decision you've made, God's not finished with you yet. He doesn't give up on you. As a matter of fact, when he talks about plans, take a look, for instance, at Ephesians 2.10, where it says that God has given a unique purpose to every individual in advance. In other words, before you ever came to be, you were on the heart of God. It talks about in Scripture um, that you're given gifts that you're given abilities, that you're given talents. You were born with certain talent. So God has plans for you. And so the idea is, is that you can take a passage like Jeremiah 29, 11, and it doesn't, it doesn't contradict it. There's an application of that that simply says there's other scripture that also supports that where God has plans for our life. And that's a wonderful thing. Early in my walk with the Lord, I prayed a prayer that you would probably call naive, in the beginning, because here's what I said. I said, Jesus, do whatever you have to do with me to make me just like you. Mm. I had no idea what I was praying. Here's the bottom line. In 45 years of ministry, there are times it's been incredibly rough with my family, with my marriage, with the church, with mistakes I've made, with things I've gotten into that were stupid to begin with, and I had to come back and repent and deal with that. But the point was this. The goal of all of that It's not that the Lord is putting a hard burden on me. They're just simply hard burdens on life that come along. The issue is, in that burden, who am I going to choose to be like? Who am I going to choose to listen to? Who am I going to choose to follow? Because it becomes real easy. Uh, And I see a lot of pastors do this, that their ministries don't work out, their marriage doesn't work out. They become embittered, and they become embittered at the Lord. The Lord's not the problem. The goal is for me, in the midst of my problems— to still pursue Jesus as he pursued the cross for my salvation. And I bet you're super thankful to God. You feel probably very, very blessed, and you know that you you are in his hands. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, no matter what happens, I know he will have the final word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen, send your questions over. Uh, these guys are ready to take on whatever you have to throw at them, 877-933-2484. you got a question about... Uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, we'd love to hear what you have, 877-933-2484. All right, here's a interesting question. I believe this is a lot of New Age religion where I see people buy rocks for around their neck mm-hmm. and even have in their house. I think it's sorcery. Your thoughts? Well, I, th- I think it goes against the Second Commandment in terms of creating idols. I mean, it, that's what it is. You end up relying instead of on Jesus Christ, you're relying on a rock. I mean, it's inanimate. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't have a conscience. Um, it doesn't have the ability to, pro- to project any kind of, of uh, guidance. So the idea is, is that we have this propensity to go ahead and make idols of things that can do no good for us. I mean, if you take a look at Romans chapter 1, for instance, beginning with verse 18, it talks about the fact that we decided to worship the creation rather than the creator. And so this, to me, is another act of worship, of worshiping an, an idol. You know, it's interesting. I started teaching on spiritual gifts on Sunday and to our adult class. Before that began, my wife gave me the Dakota County uh, magazine that had upcoming classes, and they have a class on spiritual gifts. I couldn't believe it. Hmm. And then I read it. It has nothing to do with the Bible or spiritual gift. It's clairvoyance, it's crystals, it's all of these things. And I'm telling everybody, don't take it. Yeah, good advice, Tom Parrish. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, lots of guide talk. Let me know what you have, 877-933-2484. Great questions coming in. 
I'm hoping for lots and lots more. We're having a wonderful time answering your questions to the very best of our ability. We hope we are serving you uh, and getting your questions answered. These guys have a great desire to help you understand God's Word, grow in your faith, and nurture you in your walk with the Lord. We'll take a break and be right back. It's such a delight to have these guys here in the studio, and we're enjoying such great fellowship every week, and we look forward to gathering and doing our very best to answer questions that come in. You've got a question, maybe you've had one for a long time, send it over, 877-933-2484. These guys are pros, and they're happy to take whatever question you have from the Bible. Or maybe you heard something in a sermon, or maybe you heard something from a past religious tradition you've been involved in that you don't know what to make of it, send it over, 877-933-2484. All right, gentlemen, a question. I do have joy in the promise of salvation, but I also still occasionally have sorrow over my past sins. Is that normal? It is normal to go ahead and have remorse or regret over past sins, especially if if we've endured some sort of consequence, a broken relationship um, that that seemingly is un, it, unrepairable, you can't repair it, or something else. Well, naturally, you're going to go ahead and think about that and be, be drawn to uh, that kind of remorse. But you stay there too long is what the enemy wants you to do, yes. because the enemy, as we've talked about before, Bill always wants to bring you to the failures of your past. God wants to bring you to the victory of your future, and the struggle is in the present. God is God, and Satan is not. And when we're reminded of it, remember what God said, and and I can think of at least eight different scriptures that talk about it, that he puts our sin behind him, that he blots it out, that it isn't remembered anymore. Now, we remember it, but God is letting us know that's been paid for. That's buried. I'm not going to be referring to that. So if you're being shamed by your past, it's not of the Lord because God doesn't shame. He convicts, but he doesn't shame. If you're being shamed, it's of the enemy. Even if it comes in first person, uh, you're reminded of something that you see, and all of a sudden it draws you back to the history of your life. And and if you spend too much time there, it can be dangerous because you can be trapped by your past, and God has given you a future, and he has taken care of your past. It's interesting. When that terminology is used, I will remember your sins no more, it's legal terminology. It's like in a court. When a court says, you're innocent. Covenant, yeah. Yeah, you're done. It's it's over with. The problem is I have a lot of Christians come to me and say, you know, I I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, of course you can't forget. You've got a mind. You're going to remember. The issue is just what you talked about, Greg. What do you now do with that? Do you give room for the enemy to come in and to make you bitter? And, and angry and hurtful? Or do you say, yep, it happened, but I stand with the Lord, and the Lord has dealt with that. I'm going to go on. 
And the more we do that, and that's where I think, here's what we need to do more in the, the church. If you don't have Christian brothers or sisters that you can talk to on a regular basis, like we have this privilege every Thursday of sitting here and talking, and we talk in between the break too. It's wonderful. I learn. It's, it's growing. It's maturing. Most Christians don't get that. They may have a Sunday school class. They may have a dinner afterward. But it's when we can talk to each other, even midweek, and say, I can't forget what happened in the past. And you have two or three other Christians there with you to say, it's not an intellect issue that you're dealing with. You know, it's giving it back over to the Lord. And the more we do that, I think the healthier we can become. Forgiveness for the believer in the New Testament is always in a in the past tense. So, for example, Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were unsaved, he made you alive together with him. He saved you, having forgiven us of all of our transgressions, past tense. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about a list of sins, and Paul goes on to say, And that's what some of you were, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is the old you. The sinful old self has been washed. It's been justified. You have been forgiven completely by God, and now you live in newness of life, having been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So when that comes up, when those tapes that you were talking about come up that are from the enemy, it's not from God because he doesn't remember them no more anymore. Um. There's a line from one of my favorite hymns of all time, It Is Well With My Soul, and it says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, it's been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. And we have to remind ourselves of that repeatedly. I over mean, it may and over. Take, you, know, you may have to remind yourself of that several times during the day, but don't let the enemy capture your attention and shame you into an endless revisiting of past failures and sin. That's not where God wants you to live. God wants you to live for the victory of the future. You know, when the police talk about, or detectives talk about an MO, modus operandi, what they're talking about is the characteristics and they can see that. Well, the devil has an MO, and it is guilt. It is revisiting the past. It is also um, isolation, trying to get you away from other people. Or it is shame. And and if we keep visiting those areas and not listening to the Lord where he says, I forgive you, I love you, I have a purpose for you, mm-hmm. believe me, that M.O. will take over our life. And that's why we need one another. You know. And quite frankly, I've got some good friends who will say to me once in a while when I get done about something, Tom, knock it off. You've been redeemed by Jesus. You're absolutely right. And I've got to go back and rethink that. Yeah. Tom, I uh, appreciate that. Greg and Jeff and I really don't bring up the police very often. So you... <laughs> You seem to, I don't know, you seem like you understand, you're reversed or something, I don't know. I've had a lot of interaction with okay. these. <laughs> some right. good, some bad. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. All right. All right, gentlemen, I'm wondering about the term karma, as I know it is a non-biblical, non-Christian term, but wondering its meaning and how to respond when others bring it up as good or bad karma. Thanks. First of all, most people who use it really don't know what it means. <laughs> you know, it's coming out of Hinduism, it's coming out of, of, of that belief system, and basically, it's you're getting repaid for what you did in your last life, is what it amounts to. So if you did bad in your last life, you may come back in poverty. You may come back something else. If you did good, then you're elevated. And it keeps the caste system working very nicely because if you're elevated and you're rich, well, you deserve to be there. 
And who can complain against that? Mm-hmm. And if you're in poverty, you deserve to be there. It is a misunderstanding of really what biblical love is all about. Biblical love never uses the word karma. And I am thankful I don't get what I deserve. Yeah. I get what I don't deserve. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus has done. And that's what we have to keep telling ourselves and one another over and over. All right. A couple of other guys nodding their heads like that's enough on that topic all right let's, <laughs> like move, let's move on um i'm looking your direction jeff Verdorn. Uh, how did jesus follow or parallel the jewish wedding customs in preparation for his own bride the church oh wow this is this is like your relative sending this yeah. question over. <laughs> uh, well, this is this is a, yeah, this is a very fun topic in in context in the book of John when Jesus says that I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be where I am also. It's it's this idea of the groom who is going to um, select a bride. Right, He's going to pay a dowry. He's going to pay that bride price. And then he's going to go away. And at an unannounced time, the trumpet is going to sound. Oh, do we have a trumpet in Scripture when the bridegroom comes back for his bride? Yes, we do. And by the way, we have a price that's paid. We've been purchased with the blood of Christ. Peter says that's the price we've been paid. Anyway, each one of these steps of the process of a first century Galilean wedding where the bride would select, I'm sorry, the groom would select the bride, go away. He would then prepare a That's place right. on his, in his father's house. And then at an unannounced time, when the father says so, go get your bride, the trump would sound. He would come back, take his bride. The bride would actually be carried off back to the father's house. And after, oh, this is this just gives me holy goosebumps sometimes. <laughs> after seven nights, they would burst forth and come down and there would be this giant wedding feast. Well, this parallels what I believe is God's plan for the end of the age when the church, the bride, will be raptured, caught up to heaven, after a seven-year tribulation will burst forth with Christ. We are the armies of heaven that is following him back down to earth again. And then we have this great wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb on earth, one of the first events of this new millennial kingdom. And so... If you were a first century Jew, you 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 would have understood uh, exactly what Jesus was, the picture that he was using. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. But it is a beautiful picture, isn't it? There, yeah, there's about 12 different components of that whole process. Yeah. And, and I, can't, I, I can't recite the Hebrew names of all these things off the top of my head. But each one has a biblical piece of the puzzle for God's plan for the church. As you guys know, I've been with many dying people. I've held their hand as they breathe their last breath. I cannot tell you the number of Christians that have told me, Jesus is here. Jesus is coming for me. Or Jesus says soon, very soon. Now, I've been with unbelievers who won't receive Jesus, and that's a different story. I don't want to give this illusion that everybody's going to go. No, no, it doesn't work that way. You need Jesus. But it fits that John 14 perfectly. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and it fits with the bride and the groom. It's a marvelous statement, and it's something that is going to happen to every believer. And quite frankly, it's going to happen at the end of your life as well as in eternity. Absolutely. That's a great point, by the way, that whether or not this is part of the end times and and in a rapture scenario and whatever your beliefs on the end times, or whether it's death, either way, right, you are the bride of Christ, and he is coming for you. Mm -hmm. Nicely done. That's very interesting. 
All right. I recently had an individual join our church body who says they're called by the office of the prophet. Do you guys have any knowledge of what that means? Well, if they're called by the office of the prophet, then the other prophets have to come forward and affirm that. So where are the other prophets? Because prophets do not have authority except when the other prophets agree. And you can find that in Scripture. You know, the prophets give heedance to the other prophets. When somebody says that, if there is not a collaboration among others, leaders in the church, that that's true, then that person, I think, is talking off the top of their head. And I'm not very comfortable with that. If, though, other people come forward and say, the Lord has told me this, then I'm going to pay attention. But I think we've got to be very careful with that one because we've had way too many prophets in the church that have not spoken for the Lord. We've had some that have, and I don't want to deny that. That's certainly there. But the bottom line is what the prophet brings to you, to the church, the leadership needs to be in agreement with. And too often, self-proclaimed prophets don't think they're accountable to anybody. Nicely done. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, lots more time for your questions. Please send them over, 877-933-2484. My power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish, and Greg Orgond. Looking forward to hearing from you. I know you got a question. Send it over. Again, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope uh, you've had a good day and we're talking about our very favorite topic, which is Jesus and the Bible and any question you have about it, uh, I know that you've got something rambling around in that brain of yours and you want to get it out, send it over, 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, uh, what is the best way to convince someone that everyone can be saved regardless of their previous actions or past lifestyle? Some believe not everyone can be saved. Well, Paul actually describes himself in his unsaved condition as the worst of sinners, He was responsible for the persecution and even death of early Christians as a a religious Jewish leader before he became saved. So if Paul can be forgiven, and I think think God specifically chose Paul because he was actually one of the worst of sinners, and if Paul can be saved, then anyone can be saved. And Jesus died not for some sin, not for some people's sin, but for all sin and all people's sins. And John 3.16 makes it very, very clear um, that anybody that calls on the name of the Lord uh, will be saved. And You know, we go to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and declare Jesus as Savior and Lord and receive him, you're saved. So it's not a matter of, gee, I've done something so bad that I'm out of that opportunity. It's not true. Scripture is plain about the fact that you can receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And that's what you need to do to be saved. There are many whosoevers in Scripture, and whosoever means whosoever. That's right. And I think the paramount statement is in 1 Timothy 4. It is the will of God that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And when you have a statement like that, 
there's no exclusion to that. There's no way to get around that and say, well, Jeff, you were born and you weren't going to be saved no matter what. You're going to go to hell. And Greg, it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to go to heaven. That is a total, that is denying what Timothy is saying. That is denying what the word of God says because it is the Lord's will that all be saved. The problem is not all will because they don't receive Jesus. There, there, there is a passage, by the way, there, and, and granted, some in Christianity teach that Jesus actually did not die for everybody's sin, only for certain individuals in, in a way, right? So we don't want to get in a too deep theological debate here. But 1 John 2, 2, I think, is one of the, the clearest passages that declares absolutely that Jesus died for the sins of all. And it says this, he is the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation, the 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 payment for sin for our sins, meaning believer's sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's everybody. Yeah. That's believers and unbelievers alike. Christ died for your sin. When I was a little boy outside of Toledo, Ohio, I had an older brother, 10 years older, and they just built a new community pool. It was absolutely beautiful. I must have been six. And I said to him, you know, well, well, who can go to that pool? And my brother said, anybody that can swim. Well, isn't that true with the Lord? The pool is there for everybody. You got to get in the water. And Jesus is the water. You don't get in the water, you're not going to swim. And if you don't receive Jesus, it doesn't mean he's excluding you. It means you're not taking what he's offering. Nicely done, gentlemen. All right, in John chapter 14, I'll read these two verses because they're short. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name and I will do it. And the question is, uh, 13 and 14 kind of say the same thing. Why is the same statement made in back-to-back verses and do these verses mean literally what they say? Dear Lord, I need a new car in Jesus' name, right? Okay. Mm. You, you, you have to understand that when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying in the, the, the nature and character and will of Jesus. And so if it's God's will, then you can ask and you will receive. If it's not God's will, uh, then you won't. Um, this is, by the way, this is probably the main verse of why we pray in, in kind of in church circles in Jesus' name. Right, So I like to describe it as we pray to God the Father in the power of the Spirit in Jesus' name. Uh, Jesus is the one who opened the door to heaven. But if if your prayer is not consistent with his nature and character and will and the word of God and everything else, then it won't be answered. And I think uh, that's praying in Jesus' name. But if you are praying for a loved one who has rejected Jesus as Savior or you're praying because you have no groceries to feed your family, that seems like a different prayer. Well, it is. The, the unanswered prayers and prayers where God says no are always tough, right? Especially when it comes to the salvation of an individual, because you know that that prayer is consistent with God's heart, because he wishes none to perish, all to come to repentance, as we were just talking about earlier, right, Tom? And so that is his heart. That's his desire. That's his wish for all mankind. But as we also just talked about, you need to receive that. God has paid the price. He's paid the penalty for for your sin. He's made the atoning sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice, but you must receive it. So when Jesus says, I stand at the door, knock, you need to open that door in in, in order to receive that free gift of salvation. You go back to verse 12. 
that says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will I do because I am going to the Father. Then he says, whatever you ask in my name. He's talking about doing the works of the kingdom of God here. He's not talking about a new car. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily talking about, you know, food. Mm-hmm. Although you can, I, we should pray for food for people that don't have it and give them food. You guys pray for pizza every week. You don't get it. Yeah. No. <laughs> we're, we're learning that. Uh-huh. Unanswered prayer. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> that's, that's going off my prayer list. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this is where we get into problems of scripture when we don't look at the context. Because the context is the building of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And in my 45 years of ministry, when I have prayed for the building of the kingdom of God, I can honestly tell you, that prayer has always been answered. Now, when I prayed about losing weight, has that always happened? No, mm-hmm. because I still like too much food and sometimes mm. I eat the wrong things. Or when I want certain things, there's a big difference between the two. And re- remember that God does promise provision for his people, yeah. right? So he says he feeds the birds of the air and he clothes the lilies of the field. And doesn't he love us more than these? But there are, we have trouble, especially in the West, of distinguishing between needs and wants, right? Our daily bread, which God in some way, shape, or form says he will provide for us, and a lot of the desires we have beyond our daily needs. And you know, the whole thing about the relationship with God, there's got to be some degree of trust. I mean, sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait. There are other things that are going on in in the world. There are other consequences to answered prayer. And so sometimes when we don't get the answer we want, that's where faith comes in and says, you know, I'm going to trust you anyway, Lord. There may be circumstances or events or whatever that might be going on that I'm totally unaware of, I trust you. And so I'm not going to get an answer to this prayer. I'm going to continue to ask you, but I trust you in faith regardless of the answer. All right. Regarding the question earlier that hit on the point of God remembers your sin no more and that you are forgiven, I grew up understanding that there is a judgment day. Can you guys maybe explain that? Well, there certainly is. And Jeff, I know you can talk more about this, but the scripture says that Jesus says the moment you come to faith, you have passed out of judgment. And so the believers are not facing a judgment of, you know, heaven or hell. That that's over with. That's been done in Jesus. The unbeliever though faces a judgment that will be you know one way eternal or not. So if you guys want to add to that? Yeah. Well, there's more than one judgment. I mean, there's the great white throne of judgment. That's for unbelievers. That's going to happen um, at the end of the millennium. Uh, That's when it occurs and where people give account for for the sin that they've they've had. And so that's the great white throne of judgment. There's a Bema seat of a judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, which is not really a judgment other than it's for rewards for Christians. It's for only for Christians. There's the judgment of nations. There's several judgments that are spoken about in Scripture, so I guess you'd have to define what judgments you're speaking about. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and look, Christians, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We were under God's wrath before we were saved. We are no longer under the wrath of God. And just as you described, the Bema is 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 uh, much closer to a rewards ceremony yeah. than it is for a traditional, quote-unquote, judgment, as we think, which will come on the lost. Mm-hmm. Why did Jesus wash only the disciples' feet, not the whole body? Well, that was part of the custom. Yeah, was, when you had a guest, foot to washing wash their was feet. custom, wasn't it? Because that was dirty. washing. No, they had ritual washings yeah. that we might even call baptisms because they would immerse the whole body. But it was the host, or when you came to their house, the host would wash your feet 
as a sign of respect mm-hmm. and love. And here's Jesus as a servant washing his disciples' mm-hmm. feet. And he says, once the feet are washed, you know, because it wasn't Peter who asked him, why don't you wash my whole body? Mm-hmm. And he said, it's not necessary. Well, he wasn't talking about, you know. Physical. Physical in terms of, of dirt and that. He's talking about spiritual cleansing. Mm-hmm. And that was a spiritual washing of the feet. Absolutely. Yeah, it would, plus it would have been really, really awkward. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I wonder how often did they bathe back then, first century, any idea? Oh, well, if they, boy. Less that, than us. Yeah, once a week would be a lot yeah, for most probably. of them. I would think so, yeah. That was what all the perfumes and oils and stuff were for, to cover the smells of people, because they did not bathe. What would have been worse, though? Well, you know, have you ever smelled real frankincense? It's like, you know, or... Some of these oils, it's uh, they're pretty potent. Yeah, they have I mean, to be to cover up for a lot of the smells. Of everybody's the body. got those oils on them. That's got to be pretty bad yeah. too. Well, yeah. well, Greg, if, since you've been in 106 countries, I've only been about seven or eight. You've smelled a lot of those smells. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, if, if I name a couple of countries, which I'm not going to do, but there are some countries where it, that's a big issue. Oh boy! <laughs> and that smell is you cannot never forget it. Oh, no. Oh, I ever. mean, you, you hope you never smell it again, but yeah. some of the smells that I've had, it's like, whoa, uh, that, they're yeah. ones you don't forget. I was downwind in India from cremations of Ooh. bodies. Oh, wow. And the wind was blowing my way. I oh. will never forget that smell yeah. in my entire life. Very powerful. Mm. All right, we're going to take uh, a break. We've got hour two just ahead of us. Uh, lots more guy talk ahead. Let me know. What you've been contemplating, maybe you've heard something even in the last hour that you want us to continue discussing or absolutely open to doing that as well. If you heard something you have more questions on, let me know what that is. We are happy to take your questions. If you've got a question about the Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, maybe a tradition you guys have uh, you've, you've been thinking about, uh, the great question came up in hour one about a tradition uh, that isn't necessarily biblical, but it's something you're familiar with and comfortable with. And if you've got a question about that, you can send it over. Open to anything, 877-933-2484. My panel today is Jeff Dorn, Tom Parrish, and Greg Borgon, soon to be headed to Ireland. Everyone's jealous. <laughs> we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.